I'm Giacomo La Rosa. I was uh, born and raised in Rome, Italy. And uh, after my high school, I moved to the United States and uh, graduated. Uh, the first degree was in film and communication, screenwriting and film production. Hello and welcome to Obehi Podcast. I'm your host, Obehi Ewanfo. And I strongly believe that everyone has a story to share. Now let's get started with this episode. Then I started my first company in America in 1995. I was about 23, 24 years old. And that company was supposed to represent my family business out of Italy in the United States. We, my grandfather started a factory in Rome, uh, manufacturing packaging for pharmaceutical companies. And considering that most of our clients were uh, American pharmaceutical companies, we thought that was a good idea to have an office in the United States. Out of that, I spin, spun off uh, another company and I started to do film production companies. Um, so we were actually two different companies, one more in the actual technical production and one more in financing movies. And we did that for about 10 years. Then unfortunately, my business partner passed away. And when he died, I decided to close down the company and concentrate all in the, in the creative side. And uh, so I started to write novels and I stopped developing movies. And uh, in the meantime, while I was doing the movies, I also co-owned and I was the um, chief uh, content officer for the Granny books and the Emmys books. Those books are the official, man, more than manuals, such as the official um, book magazines that are delivered to all the artists that go to the actual Grammy and Emmys. So it was a very interesting experience working with the academies out of Los Angeles. And obviously, we were pretty much at the top of the entertainment business for, for a few years. So it was really, really exciting. But then I also ended that collaboration and then I moved back to Italy. That was about 2016. 2016, I took over my father's company for four years. I was basically running things. And then uh, my father decided that he didn't want to retire anymore. So he came back to the company. And at that point, I decided that uh, I wanted to do other things. So I resigned from my position and I started to work for Generali. And now I'm working as uh, wealth management and risk assessment for Generali. Generali, most people know, I'm sure, is the number one insurance company in Italy, one of the top in the world. And my goal is actually working in this agency out of Rome, which right now is the number four in Italy was a number 38 only three years ago and our goal goal is to become the number one in Italy so we are pushing really really hard to become the number one agency in in Italy and uh, parallel to that I still have my first original company out of the United States is still active and I do some consulting from time to time um, Probably people didn't realize yet, but there is a lot of American money that has been invested in um, in Italy lately. We believe that everyone has a story to share. We believe in the power of storytelling in today's digital economy. Yes, we believe that our audience needs to be touched at the level of emotion so we can better engage. What about you? Do you believe in storytelling as much as we do? Do you want to reach the hearts and minds of your audience? Then join us with our online training class, Storytelling for Content Creators and Digital Entrepreneurs. Come, 
Come to obehiawanfo.com slash storytelling and learn how to leverage your storytelling skills so you can earn more as a content creator and digital entrepreneur. Storytelling is a powerful instrument at our disposal. Let's explore it together. See you in the class. You know, the soccer teams, for example, it's a perfect, uh, you know, example of that. But there is a lot of fans, a lot of people that are very interested in the Italian economy. So what one trying to do out of the United States is to filter the people that are really interested in investing in Italy and see how I can help them or help the Italian companies to get some sort of uh, partnership with uh, American firms. So that's pretty much my background. I also, when I have time, do missionary work. I was in Guatemala about two weeks ago with the Salesians. I usually work with them and uh, I try to be in the Central Latin America area because the language, you know, I speak Spanish um, and it's easier for me than Africa, where unfortunately I don't speak, um, you know, French or other languages or so sometimes. But I was supposed to be in Angola. Uh, but I couldn't go because of the COVID and uh, I was asked actually by the inspector in Angola to be representative for them through the um, to the European Union. And it was a very good uh, oppor- no opportunity, but um, really good ha- opportunity really to help them. Unfortunately, because the COVID, I couldn't go and Angola had some very, very strict rules about uh, uh, visas and things like that. So for bureaucratic reasons, I couldn't go. And then, uh, you know, I started to work with Generali really, really heavily. So I didn't have the time to go. But hopefully next year, I will make some time to go down to Angola. Thank you so much, Giacomo. That's that's very interesting. It's very interesting. There is a lot actually in yeah. there, but we can pack it one by one. Yes. Uh, okay, uh, now um, we're trying to look at the um, storytelling in business, which I believe is something very important for a lot of businesses today. Uh, so I wanted to look at it like this. Uh, why should businesses consider storytelling as one of the tools that they should use uh, for their marketing or for their brand building, whatever it is that they want to promote to the world? Why should they use storytelling? I believe that... Uh number one point is to give an identity to the company the product or the services that you're offering so sometimes uh, companies are uh, linked together by contracts or uh, business plans but they don't really understand what they are they don't understand the identity anymore and i believe that the storytelling is a very good exercise and a very good rule of thumb to have within the company first so that the managers, the owners, if it's more common, if it's, if it's more business, or at least the board of directors and the management, and eventually all the employees can actually relate to some sort of, uh, not document, but really a story that it's the same for everybody. So people can understand fully, point by point, what the company is all about. Once that part is clear, that storytelling, the concept within the story that has been agreed upon within the company, obviously make a very strong base for marketing and advertising. Because once you have cleared the message and the identity that you want to convey to potential buyers or investors, clearly the same storytelling, you know, using the advertising tools become also a public storytelling. And also, the same storytelling become 
um, a dialogue among the customers because you and I are going to start to talk about major companies. We are not involved with those companies, but we, our brain, our mind is somehow influenced by the storytelling decided by the company. So when we relate to, for example, I can say Coca-Cola or I can say Apple, we somehow have our own opinion, but that opinion is strongly based on a story that was already written and told to us, which is the same very story that was agreed upon by you know the company at the very beginning. So that's why I believe the storytelling is extremely important. And uh, a lot of people confuse the concept of business storytelling with just the fancy page on a web page when you tell the mission statement and things like that. That's not it. Storytelling is a little bit more complicated. A little more complicated. That is why probably they need people who understand the, how to structure, how to define this story so that it's not just like you said, the fancy page, no? There are a lot yes. that goes into that. Uh, uh, because that is the situation, are there some examples that we can see out there, some companies or top brands in the world who are successful in the use of storytelling so that we can sort of try to see what they are doing? Well, you know, the first one that comes, there are two of them that ironically are related uh, somehow. And um, I like to talk big companies because a lot of people can relate to them. If we spoke a smaller company, maybe people don't really understand or know them. Let's take, for example, Apple and Disney. I think Apple has an incredible story that was told. Apple basically uh, was born in the garage, like we all know. It was an idea of Steve Jobs clearly using, you know, Wozniak, you know, technology. But Steve Jobs really had the, con the business concept, you know, to go in the market and take a market that at that time was still very, very um, young. Uh, the real story about Apple, though, is that you can create a universe where you want customer to come in and stay within your universe. So in order to make such a solid brand and such a solid concept, uh, Steve Jobs built a story, wrote a story uh, in his mind that Apple was not just a company. Apple was a state of mind. Apple was, again, a universe something that you will come in, use a computer, and eventually, you know, 30, 25, 30 years later, iPhones, iPads, and all that, iWatch and all that, but still within the same concept. If Steve Jobs and the story wasn't told correctly, Apple would have been just a technology company. Why we don't feel to be involved with Dell, or we don't feel involved with IBM, and to a certain extent, even Microsoft has a different story than Apple. So clearly, the implementation, the business implementation, the technology are very important. But if Apple didn't have that storytelling, we wouldn't be so strong in buying those products. Same thing with Disney. Disney started with the mouse. And that's a sentence that Walt Disney used to say all the time, which I love. It's one of my major mottos. I hope everybody will remember that everything started with a mouse. And uh, nothing can be truer today where Disney is a huge, huge entertainment company. But again, the mouse, the philosophy of fantasy, the philosophy of a family entertainment, the concept of being happy, the concept of enjoy the moment, the concept is everything is possible. It's a story. 
this is not a business plan. This is a story. It's a philosophy. And that philosophy built the company to the point that now Disney is able to buy all these other companies, obviously using financial tools like Marvel, like uh, Star Wars. But yet it's all part of the same storytelling. It's part of coming to a fantasy world. So I believe that um, whoever is in charge of companies need to keep clear what this what the story is. And the story can be rewritten, can be chapters can be added by new management, absolutely. But it's very, very important that it has some sort of continuity or at least clear, has to be clear to the people working in the company. And on a smaller scale, I can think of companies in Italy, for example, Luxottica is one of them. Luxottica is a company that's decided also in a way very similar to Apple, you need to come to our world. However, what Luxottica did different from Apple, they didn't push the Luxottica brand. Luxottica is behind the scene. They bought all these other brands like Ray-Ban or you know, the Landscrafters, the, 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 the eye chain here, the eyeglass chains, the, the retail. And, and they built together a universe of brands. But the concept is to be that philosophy of life of eyeglasses. And last but not least, Ferrari. Ferrari is probably the most interesting, iconic brand that Italy has and is recognized worldwide. I believe it's then still is the number one brand most recognized from out of Italy in the world and one of actually the top brands in the world. And Ferrari is literally literally history i mean this is storytelling at its best you know it's a guy that believe in racing decide to create their own car his own car because he didn't like the cars that were out there started to compete with other cars created the, such a legend in formula one and parallel to that um, cars that could be put on the road and, and again it's all storytelling I mean, storytelling, the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about Ferrari, beside, you know, the, the power of the engine, is the history of Ferrari. And that history is storytelling. I also like the fact that you said you want to make mention of uh, the big brands because, of course, everybody knows that. Also because if they are so big and they are still there and they have been there for a number of years, there are reasons why they are still there. Yes. So there, there is a lot that we can learn from them. And like you, of course, pointed out the brand like Apple, like Disney, and of course, like Ferrari, which is one of the top car company in, in the world and in Europe. It is very important that we understand that this giant, they are there because they have a great story behind them, because they, they are able to build emotional connection with the audience. And this is something really powerful. But there, I have a question for you. How should businesses craft their story because now we understand that it's not just the fancy pages that you have there on the internet of your website there is a reconstruction of a story behind who you are in a way that people can actually truly connect with you at the level of emotion only to help me with that that's a very good question and um, the answer i think it should be structured in two in two in two parts number one is whoever writes the story or is involved in writing the story has to be truthful. I mean, you cannot lie. 
this is not again a propaganda this is not an advertising page this is not something that you negotiate with with potential buyers so you you're playing sort of a poker game no this is the truth the storytelling of the of the company of the business has to be true this is why it's kept private has to be within the rooms of power within the company and um, and once that thing is clear when people understand they have to be really true then you come to phase two which is the actual writing the story in my opinion the best way to do that the best way to structure that is to get an external professional somebody that really understands the concept of writing in the artistic way sometimes a writer is not really a businessman but what a writer does, and even a journalist in this case, I mean, people that are used to tell stories, people that are used to understand things between the lines, that's what you need. Because business people, they are technical. They are very, it's about the money, it's about how to increase the value of the company. But sometimes they lose track of the identity of the company, but also they lose track of the things that the company has hidden because they only worry about their departments. It could be finance, it could be marketing, it could be production. A writer, a researcher, somebody who's used to take his time or her time, write down, take notes, understand the right questions, that person I think should be in charge. And I think companies more and more should have a sort of uh, an executive, which is a bright technical writer, which really interviews people within the company and start to create the story. Once the first draft is ready, there should be a, some sort of board meeting in which all the top management relate to the story that this writer has been put together and then really start to associate the idea and the everyday issues with the company within what this person has written. And that's where you really start to shape the real story of the company. Because, again, this is not pushing somebody's agenda. It's not the CEO is pushing a certain ideas because his next five years are going to be very important and he needs to brainwash the rest of the company. Storytelling of a company is not about that. Storytelling is what is the truth? What are the real problems we are having? What are the real challenges that we are having? What are the really good things that we have? What is companies really about? You know, McDonald's is a perfect example also storytelling. I think 99.9% .9 of the people watching us or anywhere in the world right now, if you do a referendum and you ask, what is McDonald's? Everybody's gonna answer, it's a restaurant. It's a restaurant where you buy cheeseburgers. We all know from the movie that was, came out a few years ago, but whoever studied business know it from before. McDonald's actually is a real estate company. The big assets of McDonald's are actually the walls of the restaurants. McDonald's, before being a restaurant, is actually a real estate company. That's the storytelling of McDonald's. When you go to watch a movie at the movie theater, everybody thinks the tickets, how much, move, how much money the the, the theater is making selling tickets. The real assets of the movie theaters are the concession stands. Movie theaters sell popcorn and Coca-Cola more than a movie. So that story, 
that story has to be clear in the management. It doesn't need to be clear to the public. It doesn't matter. But whoever is involved in the company, they need to know what they are. At one point, should uh, the, the construction or the structure of their story be done? Is it in the beginning of the business? You first of all create the story and then the business after it, or at a point you review the business uh, existence, then you structure the story after it. Uh, I'm trying to understand, at what point should a business consider structuring their own story? Well, at the beginning, obviously, if it's a startup. So back to Steve Jobs' example, he started to write the story when he was in his garage, obviously. Now, whether he actually wrote a story or just acted like he was uh, writing a story doesn't really matter, but clearly when it's a startup, it has to be at the very beginning. If it's a company that's already been built and it's already established somehow but lost identity, doesn't know where the company is, clearly you need to do it You know when the company was already uh, you know, implemented. You know, Google is a very good example. What is Google? I mean, I don't know. Google started as a search company, advertising company, data collection. Uh, what is Google today? I don't know. So it's very important that somehow at certain level, when a company is so big that somebody really decide to put all the ideas together, the thoughts together and create a story. Another important moment could be when a private company goes public. Private company going public changes completely because there are new tools now available to the company. There are new people, new players. There is Wall Street before it was only private people. So how do you keep the integrity of the company when finance is involved, when banks are involved, where stockholders are involved? So you don't have the original owners anymore. Look at CNN. Ted Turner created CNN with certain ideas, with certain concepts. Is CNN the same one today that Turner created? Absolutely not. It has nothing to do with that CNN. I'm not saying it worsened or it got better, but it's definitely a different company. So it's very important that somebody brought the storytelling. I don't think CNN brought the storytelling, to be honest. And it's ironic because it's a news company. But look at Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola started in a small pharmacy in Atlanta, Georgia. Today, it's a huge company, but the concept of Coca-Cola is exactly the same. It hasn't changed at all. So somebody is doing a very good job of writing the story of Coca-Cola. So the point is, I think that anytime there is a major change or identity crisis within a company, that's the moment that the storytelling should be addressed and should be shaped, written, or read. When you look at uh, a company that is existing, that's in, in existence, uh, this company uh, maybe do not have a strong identity and they are trying to make sure that they are represented in the world. Maybe like you said, there will be a crisis of identity, you know, because, okay, you know, sometimes in business you do a lot of things because you don't know what exactly is going to work, you know. Then uh, maybe all the things that you put out, they, all of them are not going to work. You see one of them is working better, so you are concentrating all your effort in that. But if you don't clearly define this, people might still see you in those areas that you will still try where, of course, you are going to eliminate, you know. So, I want to try to understand now the role of storytelling there where when you are trying to reinforce your line, establish your true identity, and even, why not, 
branding yourself. Tell me the role of storytelling in all this part. All right, I would like to answer that actually reversing the, the question. Instead of thinking as a company, let's think as a customer. Um, why do we pick a certain brand versus others? Why do we feel protected versus others? As I said, you know, I don't want to do advertising on my own job now, but let's think generally. Why General is the number one insurance company in Italy? Why people feel confident in being insured by Generali and not by, you know, some dot-com uh, insurance that just came out online? Because Generali is a history, literally. It's, you know, started almost under 50 years ago, very strong, pays on time. You have an accident, it pays. There is professionals that really help you every time. So that environment, it's the storytelling of the company. But as a customer, we can relate to that. So I believe that branding yourself, it is storytelling. Absolutely. Branding yourself is storytelling. The difference, branding yourself is part of the storytelling. I want to be more clear. Branding, it has to do with more with advertising. Storytelling is the whole concept of the company. So when you want to go into the market and communicate with your customers in a way that the customers feel safe, you have to have the storytelling clear and complete. To be a great content creator in today's fast-changing economy, you need one thing, storytelling. Storytelling is a powerful instrument to leverage, either for personal use or for your business success. This is why this training class, Storytelling for Content Creator and Digital Entrepreneurs, was created. It is designed to help you leverage the power of storytelling so you can stand out from the crowd and earn more in your business. Come to obehiair14.com slash storytelling and learn how to leverage your storytelling skill to earn more as a content creator and digital entrepreneur. You need the power of storytelling to stand out in the competition. So let's explore it together. See you in the class. Let's think of small companies that change within generations. The grandfather, the father started the company, the son, the daughter come take over. There is a clearly a change. There's new technology, there is new mentality. How do you keep the integrity? Because when people come and buy from you, how many times have you heard, especially you know, in countries like Italy, like the you know, Western Europe, where small companies are still very important? How do you what do you listen often? You know, when the father was there, it was a completely different company. When the grandfather was there, it was a completely different company. You go to eat or in a restaurant, you know, in Rome or Verona or Milan. You know, yes, the food is still good, but when the father was there, it was much better. Why is that? Because the storytelling was not told, was not continued, you know, within generations. The family didn't write the story. So a company, a big company, is exactly the same thing. Now, you know, the Americans took over Manchester United. 
why Manchester United is not anymore the team that was before, because maybe the American family that owns Manchester United now didn't read the storytelling of the fans or the history of Manchester, the the struggling of the people living in Manchester, which are very different from uh, London or from Paris. That's why we get so strong about our soccer team. And somebody who takes over, a, a team needs to understand that. This is not just about money and being the Champions League and making contracts with advertising. It's also about sustaining the history of the team. So storytelling needs to be written, needs to be told. Again, Branding and storytelling are part of the same uh, process. But whoever doesn't do a good storytelling, in my opinion, is destined to fail. It will fail. No matter what, it will fail. Do you remember? I mean, you're old enough to remember Pan Am, TWA, two of the most iconic airlines in the world. There were movies in the 70s and the 80s Picture in Pan Am going to the moon. I remember 2001. Where is Pan Am today? Where is TWA? Is it because bad business? No, it's because they didn't tell the story. They stopped writing the story. All right, that's very interesting. Also, because I hear you made mention of uh, a change of hand. Uh, this can be a change of hand generationally or a change of hand because business is bought and sold. Uh, so, I think that part is important for me. In the change of hand, what should happen to the story should they take the story along or should they change the story and when the story does change what happens to the people that are following because now when you tell a story you create an emotional connection take for example apple is releasing uh, a product a lot of people line up it's not really because they don't have other products to use it's because they have a kind of an emotional connection I sort of see a lot of Apple users are almost fanatic to the product of Apple. I want to believe this is it's not just because Apple products are good. I'm not saying other products are bad, but I'm saying that the story Apple tell have this human connection with the people so that the people are directly connected to the story. So in the time that maybe product uh, companies are bought and sold, what should happen to the story? I think that uh, the human connection you refer is the key. The companies should remember that are made of people and they sell to people. Even business to business, B2B, it's people selling to people. I mean, there is no robots selling to each other. Even the internet, we think we go on the internet, we order from Amazon, there is somebody, a physical person on the other side that process our order. Everything that we write on the internet, somehow, somewhere, there is somebody sitting in an office that is coding all those things. So there is still people and people. So human touch is very, very important at every level. Let's start with the changing generation when you know you change hands in the company. Of course, the story should be continued and rewritten. Absolutely. The story is not a dogma. The story is not a dogma for, from the founder. The story is a story storytelling it's like a book you can add chapters absolutely the new people that come can have better ideas can improve the ideas is the process though that should not be stopped it's like a tv series you do season one season one did very well now let's do season two 
you might add some actors, you might change a little bit the storyline, but the concept of the series has to be the same. The company is exactly the same. When you lose that, when you change completely, you go from comedy to drama, you go from something set up in New York City and all of a sudden you sit up in the middle of Zambia, it's clearly not the same story anymore. I'm not saying it's impossible to do it, but it's very difficult. Apple, you made a perfect example. Yes, absolutely, they're fanatic. There is no doubt about it that there is a sort of a Pavlov dog scenario in which a new product of Apple is on the market and something clicks in your brain. I gotta go, I gotta buy. Absolutely, absolutely true. But it's also true that Apple is changing. Some of the products are not anymore. You can tell that it's ending the Steve Jobs philosophy. And now on certain things, they're starting to think like Microsoft. Is it good? Is it bad? I don't know. Time will tell. But there are a few things in Apple that have changed. I don't think this is in their story. I don't think somebody is writing the story of Apple anymore. So it's very important. On the other hand, Microsoft probably lost the storyline and now is rewriting. Now uh, Microsoft is having a completely different approach with uh, probably started with the video games, with the Xbox, they really were able to connect with the, with the young people in ways that, um, that uh, Apple probably didn't do because they were taking too many things for granted. You know, we were talking about Ferrari before and I was with uh, Stefano Domenicali uh, three, four years ago in, um, in a Harvard event that we, we sponsored in Rome. And Domenicali at that time was the CEO of uh, Audi Italy, which Audi owns Lamborghini. Now, Domenicali is a very interesting figure because he grew up in Ferrari. He was a major key player in Ferrari and then he switched and went to Lamborghini. So he said, Ferrari is my mother. I grew up in Ferrari and I always love Ferrari. Ferrari is iconic. We talked about it before. It's a legend. However, Ferrari is losing the interest of the young people. Why? Because Ferrari is never ever in movies anymore. It's not in TV series. It's not in video games, if not really marginally. Lamborghini is in every single action movie that you can think of. Lamborghini is in every video game. And it's done on purpose because they're telling a different story. They're rewriting the story and the storytelling is you have a Lamborghini, you can win the video game, your avatar is doing that, do it in real life too, and then buy Lamborghini. So when you become a millionaire, you know, all these young people now with startups and whatever, that they have tons of money, they buy Lamborghinis and they don't buy Ferraris. So it's a very interesting sample of storytelling. When you were making an example of Apple, uh, Microsoft, uh, something was clicking in my head actually, in that, um, I see this giant corporation now sometimes rising and falling. Uh, is it, it doesn't have to do exactly with the kind of story they tell. In that, what I mean is this one. Maybe, for example, Apple was basically unknown at the time. They tell a kind of story that connected with the people and they grabbed the market. Because the, the story was so good and was so easy to connect to. Uh, the, the other guys, of course, didn't even think it was necessary to compete until they saw that they were actually losing their terrain to these new guys in town. And now, Apple, from nobody, from no company, 
rose and become very powerful in the world. Do they still continue with the kind of story they are telling or do they also feel like the other guys now that okay we have conquered now so there is no need to tell this same story anymore or perhaps somebody felt it was no longer necessary so they too they realize. Is it something like that? Yes, it is something like that. I think sometimes companies lose their identity or sometimes the companies sit on the fact that they assume that no matter what, people will go to them. Apple, the most interesting part of the story of Apple is not too much the beginning, which was amazing, but everybody started like that. Microsoft also started from almost a garage. I mean, they have very similar stories. The amazing part of Apple is when Steve Jobs came back. So we are talking about those like mid-90s, early 2000, I don't remember exactly now. But the key there was the iPod. The iPod was obviously a music devicer. So everybody was relating to Apple as a computer company. Apple came up with a, with a portable music device. Now, why Sony didn't do it? I mean, Sony, at that moment, you could talk to anybody in the world and you relay, uh, you discuss about pocketing your music, everybody would relate to the Walkman. We still had a Walkman with a tape. There was a little MP3 players coming out from still from Sony and other companies. So we all waiting for Sony to come up with something like that. Sony didn't do it. Apple, we had nothing to do with music, which had nothing to do with portable devices. Apple came out first with the iPod and eventually with the phone. Why that phone didn't come out from Nokia? Why didn't it come from Motorola? Because unfortunately, sometimes the storytelling can become a burden too. Because you are too much caught up on your own philosophy and you think, that's it. Nothing is going to change. Unfortunately, it will change and people will destroy you. Look at Blockbuster. <laughs> I mean, Blockbuster had the monopoly of video rentals, had the store location, had the customer database. And you're telling me that nobody in 25 years, whatever, the Blockbuster was in business, nobody had the idea to stream. You didn't have two junior managers in a room doing some research online that would figure it out that one day people will download movies. Why Netflix did it with zero money? Netflix did it. And Blockbuster, we had all the money, all the resources, didn't do it. It beats me. I don't understand it. Because they don't want to tell the story. Because maybe the stories, and there's a storytelling, always there should be a beginning, should be a middle, it should be an end. But also should be a past present and the future the future and sometimes <laughs> in storytelling they forget that it should also start to write the future predict brainstorm where are we going what's our direction this is also part of storytelling this is you know this is very interesting Giacomo it's really very interesting you know? because now I'm looking at the life of a business the life of company like the life of a human being the life of empire you are coming from Rome of course you understand what I mean you know when I say empire rises and fall we look at the United States for example today you know is it very is the most powerful country in the world the most richest country in the world in every respect of it it has not be always be like this and it will not always be like this 
And, but this is very difficult to tell somebody to swallow. Now, maybe, for example, if you're a United States citizen, you will tell him that a time is coming where you are going to be just like every other person in the world. Nobody's going to care about you. Because at, at one point, nobody actually cared about you until you were able to create a story for yourself that is this powerful that it can rival anything in the world. It's the business is also like this. Sometimes you have climbed to the top that you will feel so comfortable. Look at Rome, for example. The Romans didn't believe that at one time it's going to be like, Rome is going to be like every other part of the world. They believe that it was, you are coming from Rome. Rome actually is defined as eternal city to the Romans. It was going to be eternal. So now I'm looking at these companies now. Is it that at a point they realize they, they believe they convince themselves that nothing is going to happen whatever we are going to always be here so let's relax then suddenly some story come out from somewhere and they they discover that they cannot fight it anymore they just give it up look at vhs for example yes. and many other companies you did make mention of or streaming for example it's not that this company don't really have the resources to do it but why don't they do it? Is it because they are too relaxed? They believe that their story is so satisfactory? I want you to speak to me about that. I believe that the answer is not within the technology, is not within the modernization, is within internal politics and internal fights. Uh, sometimes companies do have the resources, absolutely. And uh, let's say Kodak, for example. Kodak. Nobody, well, nobody. A lot of people don't know that, don't realize that, but Kodak is actually the company that invented digital photos. They invented the technology that eventually put Kodak out of business. And they didn't implement it. They invented it, they put it in a drawer, and they kept it there because they felt the film was still the main thing. Now, obviously, they were mistaken. They were very wrong. Why, though, they didn't push digital in the way that other companies did and eventually took over the business because probably some in some offices of Kodak they were fighting arguing looking at the stock value if we go digital now we're going to lose money for the first maybe two three four five years and nobody wanted to go beyond that five years say let's keep on making the money that we are making today and that's what kills companies Amazon, perfect example, the other way around. Amazon didn't make money for 10, 12 years. They were actually seriously in red. You know, if you remember, they started selling books. Uh, yeah, they were selling books, but they were not making money. It became a giant and still didn't make any money. It was selling, but it was in loss. But somebody believed in that company. Somebody kept on financing the company because what they saw in Amazon, the potential of database, the potential of customer relationships, and the potential of being present all over the world, not only on the internet, but also physically, because the key of Amazon in relation with other companies is Amazon is an internet giant, but Amazon also has real warehouses, has actual people working, people delivering. So it's actually Walmart and Google at the same time. And uh, other companies couldn't make that transition. Walmart is online, but is not doing it like like uh, like Amazon. 
Google tried many times to go in the real economy and failed all the time because they don't have it in their DNA. So back to history and Roman Empire. Rome, if you think about it, Rome, why was Rome so successful? Because Rome had a clear storytelling and a clear idea of where it was going, but also Rome respected the countries and the culture they conquered. Rome invaded countries by let always the local culture to stay there. The local kings, the local people, they were running their cities, their whatever religions, whatever, according to the local culture. Rome was supervising, Rome was collecting taxes. I'm sure Rome was killing people too. I mean, I'm Roman, but I know that Rome did a lot of bad things too. But there was that understanding that was the only way, otherwise people will rebel, people will do a revolution. You need to give some room to the local culture. You cannot be a dictatorship all the time. That's why the Roman Empire was so flourished. And also there were a lot of thinkers, a lot of philosophers. Let's not forget, there was an emperor, very powerful, but also there was a senate, and the senate was also very powerful. So there was a good counterbalance. When Rome really started to fail, with internal conflict. Rome was not attacked and destroyed. Rome self-employed, and then it was so weak that anybody could come to Rome and steal, but Rome already did it by itself. So the companies are doing it by themselves. They keep on fighting, keep on arguing, nobody makes a decision, and uh, and they float. Look at IBM. I mean, IBM had the entire world in their hands. IBM is not a player now on the internet, it's not a player in the computer, it's not a player in anything. It's still there, obviously, it's still a big company. But honestly, would you put money, if you were a billionaire, would you put money to IBM or put money into, you know, some uh, new 3D technology that probably is still unknown, but with a lot of potential? I would probably go with the, with the latest, later. So, with the latter. So, it's... Uh, it comes back to being human beings. I think the loss that we have as human beings unfortunately are represented in our work and when we are in a company and uh, sometimes the ego is stronger than uh, the brain and ego destroys there's nothing to do but also it's the only way to have the others to come otherwise there will never be an improvement everything will be status quo yeah yeah I, I, I believe that I believe that that is why I think the perfect analogy is, is comparing it to the human life, to society that grow up and they force down. Is that if you take up uh, the statistics of a business of our economy, you see it is fluctuating, is up, down. It's not always up, up, up. Because if it is always up, 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 how many years do we need to take before you become the richest uh, company in the world and you remain there? But it never happened that you remain the richest, okay, as an individual, the richest person in the world, and you remain the only one, the richest. Because that is not, that is a zero-sum game. For you to be the richest, another one must be poorer than you. And how is it possible that you are going to be the only richest person and you keep the, the title? It's not going to happen. <laughs> so, but I, I think that is also what makes it uh, interesting, because that makes it aspiring, meaning that somehow, Somebody else can occupy that position. That is interesting. All you right, know, now. Yeah, please go. The, the funny thing about that is, uh, absolutely, there is always somebody richer or somebody more powerful, clearly. But also the definition of richness and power, it's very complicated. It's not an easy task. Now, 
Bill Gates was the richest man in the 90s. Mother Teresa was alive and very strong in the 90s. Worldwide, in the 90s, who do you think was more powerful, Bill Gates or Mother Teresa? I don't know. I don't have an answer. And me too. <laughs> but it's, you know, Mother Teresa didn't have any money. <laughs> That's it. But That's yet, the point. Which one was really more powerful? Very, very tough question. So sometimes money and power are not exactly the way we define the way, you know, the Western society likes to define it. Also, don't forget a lot of companies. I mean, in that, you know, Africa is a perfect example and uh, somehow Central America and uh, South America, too. But Africa, is, I think, is Asia, too, uh, is far east, uh, Southeast Asia also. If you don't rely on the local, you're not going to become successful. Yeah, because the economy is structured differently. Exactly. You know? <laughs> so, I mean, everybody has a cellular phone, but somebody has to give the cellular phones to the local people. And the local people in the village in Africa, or in the village in Guatemala, they're not going to go to the Apple store. And it's going to be too expensive to build an Apple store. People are not going to go unless you're in the capital or, you know, in some sort of, you know, shopping center at the airport. But in the villages, no. But yet, in the villages, everybody has a cellular phone. They don't have shoes. They don't have food to eat, but they have a cellular phone. Why? Because somebody at the local level understood that they could make money selling the cellular phones. So that's not the company anymore. This is actually the local people that understand there is a business. So they have a little stand, they sell you the cellular phone, and they make money. So it's very important to understand that. You know, back to the military, somebody, we have a say in Italian, the marshals sometimes or very often have more power than the general because the marshal really understands what's going on. The general is more into the political game. <laughs> you need to be yeah, you need to be in touch on the ground because that is where you really understand what is happening because when you lose the ground the power that you hold become just dangling on the surface no yes yeah exactly. I, I think in most of the cases i stop it there now uh what kind of story do you think businesses should tell what kind of story should they concentrate on in their business that's a very good question. As a writer, as a thinker, as a, I'm not a philosopher, but you know, as somebody who believes in human uh, being and things like that, I believe that the story should always be about improving the product and the service and eventually the company for a better product, for a better service, for a better company to improve society. That's how I believe. Unfortunately, we live in a very, very strong business-driven world, which is all about profit. So clearly, the company needs to look at the numbers and, and need to look at money as well. Steve Jobs, the early Steve Jobs, if everything that Steve Jobs had in mind was implemented, probably the company would have been out of business because he didn't have the technical skill to understand the finance well, he was a very smart man, but certain things need to be a little bit sharper. Look in Italy, Olivetti. Olivetti is a perfect example. I don't know how many people are aware of Olivetti. Olivetti was basically the first person who really put the PC in, uh, in the market. Olivetti had a very strong ideas about interaction between society and companies about you know housing for the people working for the company schools education 
and things like that. Unfortunately, Olivetti was able to build something really strong, then he died, or he was killed. It's very hard to tell. I think he died on natural causes. But uh, the point is, the company didn't keep that, and Olivetti now is basically doesn't exist anymore. It could have been another Apple, though. So what a company should tell, what a story that should tell. I think it should be a combination. Somebody who writes, somebody who has high morals, should also understand very well finance and money. I think I told you the other interview we had, but you know, for people that didn't watch the other interview, money is not a bad thing. Money is not evil. This is something I never agreed upon. Money is a very powerful and good thing. The bad thing is how you spend money and what you do to obtain money. That's the problem. If you steal and kill, then money becomes a problem. This is like nuclear energy. Nuclear energy is not a problem. We are sitting on the biggest nuclear energy in the world, which is Earth. So if Earth is nuclear, there must be something good about this. The problem is how we implement that technology. I mean, we were able even to build an atomic bomb. So if we do bad things, it's not that what nature is giving us that is bad. So money is exactly the same thing. If you build hospitals with money, or if you give entertainment, happy entertainment to people, you give education, you create jobs. Money is a very good thing, very positive thing. It's almost as good as medicines. Without money, you're going to do research. So money is a very important thing. Again, Mother Teresa, she was not a wealthy woman, but she understood money. She knew how to ask for money. She didn't have a lot of money in her bank account. But a lot of money was going through her congregation, and she was able to redistribute this money to help. This is what I'm talking about. The combination, the storytelling should be the perfect merge of understanding what's going on and doing the right thing. Some companies are doing that because they understand that the future will be more sensitive to this. The new generations are more aware. So obviously a perfect example is the green environment, is you know sexual harassment, you know, equality between sexes and things like that. We are moving in the right direction in that. I don't think we are moving in that direction yet in terms of the actual financial. I always believe that finance should support the real economy and not the other way around. And I think government and politics should come to a point where Wall Street is great, but you should invest money in the company. Take the risk like everybody else. And if you lose money, you lost money. I shouldn't give you one million possible parachutes, you know, to gamble and things like that. That's not what finance should be. Finance should be, I have an idea. You have the money. You give me the money. And together we grow. It's not that you give me the money. And at the same time, you're also giving the money to my competitor. Or also you're betting that I'm going to fail because you're going to make more money. That is wrong. You know, like look at interest too. Interest rates, obviously, interest rates are important because somebody has to be a little profit. But one thing you charge me 2%, 1%, one thing is charged me 29%, 30%. That's not a business anymore. That is stealing and should not be allowed, in my opinion. And I'm a capitalist. I'm a true capitalist, but this is not capitalism. This is something else. And that is not correct. All right. Again, that is, that is another interesting conversation I would like to talk yeah. about, the interest, no? how we measure yeah. it, how... Oh. Anyway, that, that can be for another day. 
All right. So you did make mention of Generali, which is one of the top insurance companies in, I think, in the whole of Europe. But in Italy, definitely, it is certainly the top. Yes. <laughs> so how does Generali use storytelling to keep his business afloat? Well, Generali has a very um, classic approach in a way because obviously the company really is as old as the country and uh, has a very important role in the Italian economy since the very first days of Italy. So let's remind Italy it has a very historical and old uh, history, I'm sorry, old, uh, um, uh, sorry, losing my word. Uh, the history of Italy is very old, but Italy as a country is very young. So generally, actually, it's probably older than Italy. So generally, it's able to create a dualism within how Italy grew and how the company sustained the growth of Italy. So that always is a major help in terms of storytelling because you can relate you know, to the past and generally was already there. Something happened major and generally was there. Probably the only company that we can really think about it, although did in a completely different way, in a negative way, in my opinion, is Fiat. But Fiat took money from Italy, generally preserved money. So the storytelling, I think, is that preservation is an insurance company. Right now, it's going very strong into finance. You know, my job mostly is to take care of the financial part more than the insurance, although I'm allowed, you know, to deal and, and sell insurance. But I'm more into the financial side because it's about preservation. It's about not to make you rich, but it's about to make sure that 20 years from now, your family kept its wealth kept its health and if anything happens somebody stepped in and helped you and paid that's what we do this is the storytelling of generali so human touch understand what people really need one thing we do all the time we interview our customers you know we don't go there and it's like so what do you need the house insurance health insurance no it's not like that we sit down we discuss like we are doing you and i right now for half an hour, 45 minutes about everything. How many kids you have, do you have a house, what do you do, and we take notes. Then we go back after three or four days and we start to see, you know, this is your week here because your house is not really covered. Financially, you're okay. You don't need the, any protection. Here, if anything happens, and then you start the conversation, you start the relationship. That's how we do it. That's how we generally build the storytelling. And of course, provides a strong system that when anything happens, it's there to really protect you. They don't give you your back. On the other hand, there are scenarios in which generally doesn't pay, but because you didn't buy or purchase a certain service. So the storytelling is also very important on both sides. You need to understand what you're buying. You know, if you're buying a protection for the house, but you don't want to cover for earthquakes. And I told you, listen, you should get the earthquakes too. No, 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 I just want, uh, you know, if somebody breaks in. Okay, and then there is a earthquake, you can complain that the insurance company is not giving you the money. You didn't want it. You thought you were smarter, you didn't want to spend the extra, I don't know, $50, 50 euro a year. So again, storytelling goes back to truth. Telling the truth, writing the truth. Don't lie, because sooner or later the lie is going to come out.
Storytelling <laughs> should always be clear, crystal clear. All right. Yeah. The lie there, I think lie in business is actually like a smoke. You yes. can only contain it, no? But yes. it's going to get out somehow <laughs> at one point. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. Okay. Now, talking of storytelling, I can say that it's beginning to get more critical today. Becoming to get a kind of a, beginning to become a skill that a lot of businesses are learning or should learn. I want you to speak on that. Why should businesses care about their ability to tell their story? What is the use of it? You know, uh, it's useful for obviously like the reason we said before, you know, keeping the integrity of the identity of each corporation. But I think what's very crucial now is the storytelling. I don't think it's clear to probably 90% of the businesses. I'm afraid the storytelling is becoming another thing we need to do. It's a cool thing to have, like mission statements, like this and that. Let's have somebody writing because we have to tell, we have to have it because somebody said that we have to have it. But if you don't do, do if you don't do it for real, the results are not going to come, obviously. So I think what's important, more than the actual techniques to write the storytelling, it's very important that companies become really aware that they need to do it. So I think for people that are fully understanding storytelling should push companies to hire professionals that actually can deliver, can make people understand. The worst thing that can happen is that in the next five to 10 years, there is going to be ghost writers, you know, running around companies, pretending that they're writing, but nobody really cares. And at the end of the day, there is a bad storytelling. There is probably investments of the company that go down the drain because the story that is told is not really close to the identity of the company. The managers, they think it's, you know, why have to waste half an hour interviewing, talking about something that's going to be on a book that nobody's going to read, it's not going to give us any money, while this half hour I can dedicate it to finance or I can dedicate it to, you know, product development and things like that. So I think the crucial thing right now is to really make people understand what it is. You remember HRs, HRs, human resources, when they were introducing to companies decades ago, everybody was laughing. What do you need HRs? You know, people come here, they get a payroll, that's it. Human rights, okay, they have it already. That is the law. There are unions. And then it turned the HRs, if well done, the companies that were, it becomes a very good filter because sometimes the unions are not really working for the benefit of the employees. Although you think and sometimes the company doesn't do that. So it's very important to have uh, an office that can relate to the real problems. And it has to be done by professionals. It's not just the first manager you have, you put it there, and okay, do whatever you need. So storytelling is the same thing. It cannot be something done by amateurs. It should be done by professionals. Now, is there really a storytelling writer figure mature enough now in the world? Probably not yet. I think we are working on it. In the Tip of my head, I, in the top of my head, I cannot really think of somebody now hire this or hire that. I think we are all in the developing process now in terms of uh, storytelling for companies. Again, 
I think if you talk to writers, if you talk to companies about storytelling, they still think it's the history of the company. It's about writing a book, you know, to tell how Amazon became Amazon and blah, blah, blah. That's not the storytelling. That is something else. That is a manual. That is a, you know, history book. It's, it's a different thing. Storytelling is about examination. It's about an X-ray. Storytelling is like going to the psychologist, sitting on the couch, lay down on the couch and talking out loud. And why the psychologists take notes. That's what story, that's the type of storytelling we're talking about. And I don't think the business world, the business environment is mature yet. We are talking about it. But I don't know how in-depth companies and even writers are really are yet. And I think programs like yours, you know, people that uh, engage into discussions are very important right now because we are really making history now. This is a storytelling right here, right now. We are really creating something new. We are in at the beginning of a new concept that companies will implement more and more. And I think in 20 years, probably is going to become a major, major part of a company. They're probably going to be a storytelling department in each company. Uh, because you didn't make mention of the father, in fact, I was, I was thinking of that. I was going to ask you, but you did say that there are differences between uh, the chronological record that you have, the story of the company, and Okay, like, tell me since when this company has been in existence and things like that, and actually the storytelling of the company, they are not the same thing. Uh, that is that is uh, very important there. Yeah. Uh, but I wanted to spend some time talking about the techniques that would be required to craft a good storytelling for a business. What do we really need to do that? Well, let's start with two examples. Wikipedia. If you Google, I don't know, well, we talk about Luxottica, Ferrari, Apple, any, any company. You, you know, put the, on Wikipedia, what you are going to have? You're going to have the chronological storytelling. So somebody sat there, or maybe more people, gathered some data and wrote it there. And it's a good element. So people do research. You know what the company is about, when it was founded, which city, what they do. So the techniques there are very basic. Research, write, and put it there. Storytelling we talk about within the company as a completely different technique. It's not about research. It's about agreeing upon a story. So one person takes the notes and put the notes together. But those notes are not his ideas or her ideas. Those notes are the consequence of people agree upon the things that need to be written. The best thing that I can think of, best example to explain this, storytelling of a company should be written like a contract when you have many lawyers, many parties, business people, lawyers, whatever, they all put their ideas, their input and whatever, and eventually you come up with a final contract that everybody agrees upon and they sign. But instead of being written like a contract, in the terms of the grammar and the structure, you write it as a novel. Why? Because writing as a novel allows to brainstorm, allows to be more open. It also detach, uh, detach you from the business. 
we go back to the human touch. It's really your feelings about the company and what the company is. I can tell you, obey, you know, McDonald's, again, it's all about cheeseburgers. And I'm, you know, I'm the CFO of McDonald's. It's all about cheeseburgers. We need to sell more cheeseburgers. We need to sell more French fries. And you will tell me, no, Giacomo, we are a real estate company. And you are the senior vice president of, I don't know, whatever department. And we will be in conflict because none of it's about cheeseburger. You say none of it's about real estate. So the storytelling is we need to both agree. It is a real estate that sells French fries. Okay. Now we are more in the same line. Now, what is more important, the real estate or the French fries? Still the real estate. So we are a real estate company. And we write in the book that we are a real estate company. Once we agreed, because there's been a process of discussing, 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 finally, we come up with an agreement. And once we agreed upon, we know that that's the truth. And that truth is written in the storytelling of the company. And it doesn't need to, go to, need to go public. It needs to stay within the company. But everybody agreed upon because we see the same truth. Not because it's been imposed, but because we discussed about it. So this is storytelling. So it, it looked like a kind of, yeah, yeah, you're right. It looked like a kind of a contract. Uh, okay, it's not an imposition, but something that we have agreed on. But by being agreed on that, the parties that are agreed on it, uh, I don't know, are you referring to everybody that is working in that company coming to agree or the stakeholder, the people who really are the, are the makers and shakers of the company? I don't know, or they can be the founder, the directors and the executives who are coming to agree on what can be the story. Uh, when they agree, it becomes a kind of uh, um, a guiding principle for them. I need to spend some time there. You know, it depends obviously on the size of the company, on the, what I did when, I can tell you my example, what I did with my family business when I was running the company. What I did, obviously, eventually, asked the family, the owners had the final word in uh, decision making. But writing the story is not about decision making. You're not writing a policy. You're not writing a business plan that needs to be executed. What you're writing upon is what the company is all about something has no legal value something has no bonding something that has no law no rules nothing so basically anybody can be part of it so the way i did it i literally interview every single person somehow working for the company from my number two all the way down to the janitors and i asked pretty much the same questions it wasn't about finance, it wasn't about accounting, it wasn't about, you know, strategies, it was about, you know, human things. How do you feel in the company? How do you perceive the company? How do you perceive our production lines? How do you perceive the offices? How do you perceive this? How do you perceive that? And at the end of it, the there was probably 25, 30 questions for each. And it was very interesting what the outcome was, because certain things were clearly the same for everybody. Other things were completely opposite. And it was very interesting. Now, when it comes to the actual large corporations, probably you'll have to have some sort of commission, some sort of people that gather the information, convey that information to the writer. And then, of course, there has to be some sort of approval. But that approval, again, 
you're not producing a bonding document, a legal document. You're producing something that helps the environment of the company to stick together and to move forward. So it doesn't need to be an executive person signing it. So I think the broader, the better, because you get more input. Probably it's important to get also some external point of view. So it could be a customer survey, could be supplier surveys. You know, sometimes we don't relate to the suppliers very much. We only think about management and customers. But sometimes we don't think that suppliers actually are a very important part of the company. I mean, probably most companies, 95, 98% of them, well, let's take salaries out. So a, a good, a very big part of the money that the company makes is reinvested in suppliers. So our suppliers are like business partners. I mean, there are some suppliers that really represent a major stake in the spending of a company. All right. Now, we have this story in the form of a book or a document that we have in front of us uh, about the company, of what our true value is, of what we represent or what we want to represent. Now, how do we communicate this message to the people? What do we do with this story that we have written about the company? Do you know that telling a story is one of the most powerful ways to connect with your audience? Do you know that the human brain processes story much more easily and quickly than facts and figure? Stories are a great way to engage your audience, get them interested in your products and services, and inspire them to take action. A good story will help you create more compelling content that can be shared on social media or through other channels. And it's not just about telling a compelling story, it's also about knowing how to tell it effectively. Now, do you want to better connect with your audience? Then join us on our online training class, Storytelling for Content Creators and Digital Entrepreneurs. Come to obehealwonefoodcom slash storytelling and learn how to leverage your storytelling skill to earn more as a content creator and digital entrepreneur. Storytelling is a powerful way to connect with your audience. So let's explore it together. See you in the class. I think that... Uh the main storytelling book, accepting the fact that there is a book, should be secret, should not be made public. So that book should stay in the company like a Bible, if you will, if you allow me the, the comparison. It should stay there in the office of the top management and, uh, and should just stay there. Now, the emotions, the implications, the energy that the book produces, that should become public. So in implementing a strategy, an advertising campaign, internal policies, how you treat your employees, how you treat your customers, whatever official document you produce should be somehow related or connected to the storytelling book. Because the moment that you go and negotiate a deal and you don't obey, but you don't uh, 
relate to the storytelling, you are lying to the identity of the company. If we all agree that uh, you know McDonald's is a real estate, and then I'm going to make a deal where I'm going to say, I don't want to own the walls. You keep on owning the restaurants. The important thing is you sell the cheeseburgers. I'm going against what we agreed upon. If I don't buy the real estate, if the executives that are in charge of negotiating the deal for the next franchising are not buying the real estate, they are going against what we decide. So I think how you convey all the content if the book is secret, through meetings, obviously. In the official meetings, some of the people that have access to the book are able to convey the philosophy. Now, why is important that the book is kept secret, in my opinion? Because the book, again, is not a bonding, is not a legal, it's an agreement between people that discuss and convey certain emotions, certain thoughts. The moment it becomes public, it becomes an object of more conflict. The company doesn't need more conflict. That's why you need a book to agree upon. Perfect example, social networks. You and I are having this conversation. We think, you know, we agree on a lot of things. We smile at each other. We are definitely happy with each other. As soon as you're going to post it, somebody's going to say, what? Apple didn't do that. McDonald didn't do that. What Jacko <laughs> is talking about? This is, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Other people are going to say, oh my God, this guy, I never thought about it. There's going to be one million different interpretations. Who's right, who's wrong? Nobody. It's up there. It's the air. <laughs> And the Thank same you. thing is with the storytelling book. You cannot allow that kind of criticism. The criticism, it's at the beginning when you write a book within the people in charge of writing the book. Thank you. That is, that is very important. That we're actually like crafting the identity of the company. Yeah. What it represents, the key value and everything about it. Yeah. If we have to dis dispute about it, we can dispute it in the moment of the creation. The moment it is created, become a living entity that we must guide our conduct by correct that is very important and of course it's important you say the correct is a living entity it will change this entity let's not make the mistake that the book once it's written is going to stay there forever the book will be rewritten and will be improved by other people that will be appointed by the company to do the same thing so there is a continuity there is a you know uh, some sort of improvement within the years obviously but always done, in my opinion, with the same process that was, the original book was written. Well, how can people connect with you to they want to do business with you, uh, share with them? I want you to use this few seconds to advertise your own business. Thank you very much. Well, I, I my website, which is www.gatcho.com. And uh, right now we are um, reinventing the website. So I think we'll be fully implemented by the middle of September. Right now, it's only my bookstores, my novels, but the, all the consulting and business side of it, it's almost ready. So it, it was online until uh, three months ago, and I decided to rearrange everything. It's always going to be my generali part, and uh, I'll be more than happy to entertain people and discuss. You know, the way we usually do it, as I said, it's uh, very colloquial. We, there is no sales or anything like that. I want to know what the needs of the customers are, what the needs of the clients are, and then according to that, we move forward. 
or sometimes I don't even take the client because I know maybe there is a the colleague or another firm that can do a better job in certain problems and I'll advise them or refer them to some people that can probably do a better job. And uh, although it doesn't happen very often because I must say we are very good and I have a network of people within me that are really, really strong. So I'm very confident. But thank you for giving me this time. Thank you. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure here. All right. Now, what would be your final thought here, considering what we have discussed today, storytelling in business, of why people should even consider it? Because, of course, I know you have expanded on it a lot, uh, the value, the importance of the how, and also the strategy to approach it. But how would you conclude it for people in a way to let them know that this is something that we need to do if we have a business? I go back to my screenwriting times. I remember when I was working in the film industry. Hollywood has the what they call the elevator pitch. Elevator pitch means what is the movie about? Give me in 30 seconds what the movie is about. I don't want to know the name of the characters. I don't want to tell me what the movie is about. Give me the true essence of the movie. What is Top Gun? It's a war movie. It's a love story. It's about a maverick flying with planes. I want to know the true essence of the movie. And then from there... We, later on, we meet again, we talk about the script, talk about how much it's going to cost, which actors you want. Companies are exactly the same thing. A business owner, major executive, C-level executives, the board of directors, they need to know what the essence of the company is. If you want to sell the company, if you want to produce a service that people can relate to the brand of the company, if you want to public trade the company and you need money for your stocks, how do you convey messages to people if you don't know the true essence of the company? This is why you need storytelling. Because otherwise, we all think that we are something, and the bottom line, we are not. And a lot of people working in companies, they don't know what their companies stand for. A CEO that comes into a company, let's say, you know, like, again, perfect example, Steve Jobs hired, you know, John Scully from Pepsi-Cola. I mean, you go from Pepsi-Cola to Apple. How can you know that word unless there is a story told? How can you relate to the company? If tomorrow you go to work for for Ferrari, you can be a top engineer. You, you know how to build cars. It's fine. Perfect. That's your daily job. You can be a finance guy, perfect. You raise money in Wall Street, perfect. It's all good. But how do you relate to the company, to the brand, if there is not a story told? If you work for Chanel, if you don't know Coco Chanel, if you don't know what Coco Chanel stood for, what is the difference between Chanel and Fendi? What is the difference between Chanel and Paul Ralph Lauren? Thank you so much for that. That's powerful. <laughs> It is that little thing, yeah, it's, it's little, but it's not, that differentiate us, that define our value, that actually help us. Because, you know, in business, in, like in life, it is, it's not always on a smooth ride all the time. The challenges are going to come. The, the storm is going to come. If you don't know why you are there in the first place, if you hear that the, the trouble is coming, you just run away. Because you, why? You, you don't have any solid background reason why you are here. But if there is a strong reason why you are in there, I think even in the military, things like this are also very important because that is what build the people together because we have a value that is beyond even the individual now. There is a cause 
that we are fighting for. And it needs to be clear. Otherwise, why do I need to kill myself? Yes. All right. Thank you so much. I appreciate the time. I really do. Thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's always a pleasure seeing you and talking to you. If you enjoy this podcast, make sure you subscribe so you never miss any of our future episodes. Rate and review Obehead Podcast and share with your friends who might need it. I remain Obehead A14. Thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you in the next episode.